0: The Rookie is a free serialized audiobook meant for mature audiences, written and performed by number one New York Times bestselling novelist, Scott Sigler. For links to order a young adult version of this book, without all the cussing, in print, ebook, or audiobook, visit slash the rookie one word. This podcast contains mature situations, adult language, and lots and lots of violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Junkies! I am now a full week back from my writing retreat in Sheboygan, Michigan, which is my hometown, Was my hometown. I am working away on the third draft of Shakedown, the Crypt Book 1, which will hopefully be the final draft of Shakedown, the Crypt Book 1. I'm about 15% of the way through that, and it's looking pretty good, so far. Far. That book will be out in 2023, not 2022, as I previously thought. We are trying to land Ray Porter as the narrator. Ray is the narrator of Earthcore and Mount Fitzroy, and he is stinking awesome. Ray is in demand, and he's booked up pretty far in advance as a narrator. The publisher of Shakedown, Athon Books, is planning a simultaneous release in print, ebook, and audiobook. Which means they can't plan a release date until the audiobook is in progress, they can't put the audiobook in progress until I finish the final draft, and they can't sign Ray to do the book until I finish the final draft. All that adds up to a 2023 release. I'm sorry if that's disappointing, but hell, 2022 is basically overall ready. October, September, November, blah da, blah da, blah, 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 blah. Speaking of September, if you hear this podcast before September 1st, 2022, and you use the Apple Podcast app on your phone or on your computer or your iPad or whatever, join us for the 911 p.m. Apple Charts Bum Rush. We're going to try to get my backlist title nocturnal to chart on Apple Podcasts. Let me explain. All of my old stories will be coming out as individual podcasts in the near future. So, Nocturnal will be an entire serialized audiobook. Alive, Alight, and Alone would be one serialized audiobook for the Generations trilogy, done in three seasons. Infected Contagious Pandemic would be one serialized audiobook feed, also done in three seasons. So on and so forth. We're going to get the Kissy Man stuff up. We're going to get the Hunter Hunterson stuff up. We're going to get the short stories up. They're all going to be there. We are going to be putting all of these feeds up over the end of 2022 and into 2023. Nocturnal is the first. So to join us for this bum rush to try and make Nocturnal chart at Apple Podcasts, all you got to do is at 1 p.m. in your time zone, wherever you are, on September 1st, go to Apple Podcasts, search for Scott Sigler Nocturnal, call that up, then click the follow button, which is over on the right-hand side. That's it. And if you got time, give Nocturnal a big fat five stars and a review. Why not? That is the 9-1-1 p.m. campaign. September 1st, 1 p.m. Your time on the Apple Podcast app for Nocturnal. And if you're not using Apple Podcasts, no worries. Nocturnal and all the other stories will be in all the other podcast aggregators. No worries, man. So let's get back to the rookie adult version. I will do the story so far, then we're all going to use a knife when we should be using chopsticks, and chopsticks when we should be using knives. Previously on The Rookie. In Week 2, a Don Pine injury gave Quentin the chance to easily close out the game on a running play. Instead, Quentin ignored Hokor's play and audibled to a pass, which was picked off and returned for a touchdown, costing the Krakens the game. Now, Quentin must report to Hokor and face the music. Did he earn himself a one-way ticket back to McCovey? Find out next on The Rookie, episode number 14. Many things had changed in the course of eight centuries of football. Equipment changed, rules changed, strategy changed, even the species changed. But at least two things remained constant, the feeling of the winners and the feeling of the losers. A noise-killing shadow seemed to hang over the human locker room. There was almost no conversation, only the clicks and clacks of armor being removed and tossed into lockers. The shadow seemed deepest and most oppressive, in front of the locker belonging to one Quentin Barnes, who sat on the bench, head hung, his gear still on. He'd had his chance, and he'd blown it. Instead of doing what he was told, instead of giving the defense the chance to win the game, he'd stupidly gone for the kill and wound up losing. Yasud came out of the nano-shower dressed in only a towel. His right shoulder was one solid bruise, angry blue and painful purple beneath his light brown skin. He saw Quentin, head hung low, and walked over. How are you doing, champ? Quentin looked up without lifting his head, then returned his gaze to the floor. His tongue played with the painful spot where his right front tooth had once been. Leave me alone. Hey, you threw a pick. It happens. It shouldn't have happened. Hokor called a run play and I audibled. So? So what do you mean? So I cost us the game. Yasud shrugged his shoulders. Maybe a lot of factors went into that loss. The defense gave up ten points in the third quarter. You threw an interception. It was a team loss, Q. Quentin shook his head. It was my game to win, and I blew it. Yasud patted him on the shoulder. That's nothing a night on the town won't cure, my friend. Let's go out and drink away our sorrows. Quentin stood and started unbuckling his armor. No thanks. I gotta get back to my room and study some film. Hey man, you've got to take a break sometime. I'll take a break after we win. Yasud gave a little smile that seemed to say, suit yourself, then returned to his locker. He was the only one that spoke to Quentin that night. The others simply ignored him. Week
1: Week week 2 Lee Roundup, courtesy Galaxy Sports Network. Condor Adrian continued his hot streak, throwing for 342 yards and four touchdowns as the Whittock Pioneers, 2-0, notched a 26-12 win over the Big Diggers, 1-1. The Shep Stalkers, 1-1, put one in the win column with an 18-16 thriller over the Sky Demolition, 0-2. Kicker Bernard Alexander rocked home a 51-yard field goal as time expired to give the Stalkers the victory. An injury to star quarterback Donald Pine let the Grontak Hydras, one and one, pull out an upset win over the Ionath Krakens, one and one. Defensive back Wichita picked off a fourth quarter pass from Kraken's rookie Quentin Barnes and returned it for a touchdown, giving the Hydras a twenty four twenty three win. Orbiting Death 2 and 0 continues to look strong, notching a convincing 35-21 win over the woo Wallcrawlers, Crawlers. O and 2, Ju Tweedy rushed for 121 yards and 2 TDs in the win, but also fumbled 3 times resulting in 2 turnovers. The Glory War Pigs, 2 and 0, remain tied for first thanks to a narrow 17-14 win over the Quith Survivors. O and 2 Kellogg, Wellington, and Alamo each grabbed an interception as the War Pigs held the survivors to 102 yards passing and 182 yards total offense. Deaths. deaths. No deaths to report this week. Week, week two players of, players of the week. Offense. Jew Tweedy running back orbiting death 121 yards on 23 carries, two touchdowns. Defense. Wichita, cornerback, Grontak Hydras. Nine tackles, two sacks, one forced fumble, one fumble recovery, one interception, returned for a touchdown. For more details on the week's
0: action, visit www.galacticfootballleague.com. Half-dressed for practice, Quentin trudged into the center dressing room, head hung low. Hocor had summoned him to his office. Quentin had never felt like such a failure. He'd had his chance, and he'd blown it. Pissed it away because he still did not understand how fast things moved in the GFL. Logically, he understood. Sure, intellectually, theoretically, but subliminally, at that primitive level where thought ceased and instinct took over, where split-second decisions were made, he just didn't get it. Quentin's tongue played against the back of the thin plastic that lined his front teeth. Doc said it would take the rest of the day to finish growing the tooth. The working nanocytes tingled in his gums. Was Hocor benching him again, or was he giving him a one-way ticket back to the Pierce Nation? Quentin went to buzz the door, but it was already open, waiting for him like an execution chamber. He hesitated a moment, then stepped inside. You wanted to see me, coach? Hocor's petty pulp waved him in. The coach stood in the middle of the floor, staring into a holo of the Wittock Pioneers' 32 14 win over the Big Diggers. The holo was set to one third size, making a six foot tall football player projected two feet high, just a bit shorter than Hokor.
2: Have a seat, Quentin.
0: Quentin did as he was told. A pallor seemed to hang over his soul. He hadn't felt this way since the orphanage nuns had caught him eating food, eating more than his fair share by far. He tried to lie his way out of it, only making the nun's wrath all the more severe. That had been his first public whipping, tied up in the city square, with hundreds watching as Sister Akira gave him fifteen lashes. It was the longest day of a seven-year-old's life. Hokor said nothing. On the field, the Diggers lined up in a three-wide receiver set with a tight end and a single running back. The defense closed in showing tight woman-to-woman coverage. Hokor paused the game. He worked the controls so that the field spun until Quentin was behind the offensive line.
2: What do you see?
0: They're showing woman-to-woman. I think they're set up for a cover, too.
2: Why do you say that?
0: The right corner's eyes are in the offensive backfield. If it was pure woman-to-woman coverage, she'd be more concerned with the receiver in front of her. Hokor nodded once.
2: Very good. And if that was you, and I'd call the post-cross pattern, what would you audible to?
0: Quentin stared at the field. His heart sank in his chest. He started to answer, then stopped, his mind suddenly blank. I wouldn't audible anything. I've had enough audibling for a while. Hokor again nodded, just once.
2: Barnes, if I put you in the game again, will you run the plays that I call?
0: Yeah, coach.
2: Good. You're starting this week.
0: Quentin stared, dumbfounded.
2: Surely your backwater ears understand what I'm telling you. You're starting this week. But but I lost the game. Yes, you did. And you lost it because you didn't do what I told you to do. But this week, you will do what I tell you to do.
0: Quentin nodded.
2: Pine is out this week and next. The femur was shattered and needs to be regrown inside the leg. I don't think you're ready, but you give us the best chance of winning. The Pioneers have a good secondary, but only a moderate pass rush. Your mobility should be enough to keep you from getting sacked. We're one and one Quentin. We've got to win this game. The Pioneers are 2-0, and oh, and they are very, very tough. I need you to run a tight, ball-control offense so we can get a lead and chew up the clock.
0: Yes, sir. Quentin wondered if a man could actually die from excitement.
2: I need a strong week of practice from you. You're going to lead this team to a win. Yes, sir. Good. We practice here today, then it's a two-day flight to Whitlock. That gives us two days of practice on the ship and two days of practice at Whitlock Stadium. There's a big time difference. We'll be playing late at night our time, so we need to be extra sharp. So let's have a good practice.
0: Gwen stood and practically sprinted out of the room, starting his first GFL start. He thought himself out of a job, but Hokor was giving him the reins. And he'd learned his lesson. This time, he'd play it Hocor's way. As he headed towards the main tunnel to the field, Denver came out of the Sklorno locker room. I speak, please. Quentin started to ignore the Sklorno receiver and keep walking, but something made him stop. What do you want?
2: I shame myself when we speak last. I only offer help. I didn't
0: appreciate Pine's sense of humor.
2: Not understand. I serve. Run routes and catch our passes to your greatness increase. Please forgive. I mean no sacrilege, only praise. Praise, praise for Quentin Barnes. I help make you greater.
0: She was asking him again. This disgusting cricket was asking him again if he needed her help. Quentin felt the flush of embarrassed rage start to spill over him once again. And then something odd happened. His mind flashed back to the Hydras game, to the last play. The sheer speed of Wichita. If he'd thrown to Haywick the second he saw her open, would he have completed the pass? He'd waited a half second, and that had been too long. There was no getting around the fact that he'd lost the game because he still wasn't used to the Sklornos' game speed. His anger faded away. Denver wasn't being rude. Denver was being honest. Quentin's game wasn't as sharp as it needed to be. But still, he'd figure it out and without help from some cricket. Thanks for the offer, but no thanks. Quentin was surprised to hear his own voice come out normal, not snotty and hateful. Denver backed away, slinking back into the Sklorno locker room. Quentin didn't know much about alien behavior, but Denver seemed like she'd been severely rebuked for some untoward behavior. Quentin turned and ran out of the tunnel. He really didn't have time to worry about Denver. He, Wittok's upper atmosphere looked a lime green. As the shuttle sliced into the soupy air, Quentin saw that the all-encompassing cloud cover was actually a sulfurous yellow. The blazing light of the blue star at the center of the Wittok system reflected off the yellow outer atmosphere, the two colors combining for a peaceful green. That peaceful sensation faded away as the shuttle dove towards the planet. The closer they came to the surface, the darker it became. Miles-long bursts of lightning rippled through the dark sky, illuminating the ubiquitous clouds and milky-yellow explosions of light. Within minutes of the descent, all sunlight faded away, the shuttle coursing through Wittok's perpetual twilight. Quentin gestured to Shizzle, who fluttered about the small cabin. Hey, is it always this dark?
2: Is and has been for the last 145 years.
0: The little creature fluttered to a stop on Quentin's shoulder. Find your own seat, pal. Quentin gently brushed Shizzle away. The credor rocking fluttered twice, then landed on the seat's armrest.
2: The Scorno Navy used relativity bombs on Witok in 2524. They fired about 50 dense projectiles at near-light speeds. At that speed, the projectiles literally punched right through the core and out on the other side. The entry and exit points alone were sources of devastation like nothing the galaxy had ever seen. The shockwaves destroyed the surface life for thousands of miles in all directions. But the projectiles also mixed up Wittock's inner molten nickel core and the outer layer of molten iron. That caused huge shifts in the tectonic plates. Wittock suffered decades of massive quakes and volcanoes. Gases from the core filled the atmosphere, killing any life that survived the initial impacts. Wittock's climate was forever changed. It was 75 years before the tectonic plates settled into relative stability. The key word is relative, mind you, because the surface is still plagued with volcanoes that reach as high as five miles into the air. Some estimate it will be another 500 to 1,000 years before the crust settles completely and the volcanoes become dormant.
0: So how come Ionath isn't like that? The Sklornos sat-bombed Ionath too, right?
2: They did, but they did not use relativity bombs, which caused so much damage to Wittok that they've never been used again. The results scared even the Skolorno, who wondered if such destructive weapons might someday be utilized against their homeworld. For future wars, they instead developed the massive nuclear bombs that were used on Ionath and Gretschlik.
0: Gosh, well wasn't that just nice of them?
2: They are a one-minded species. They're part of the reason we Credit Rockians took over. We feared that if left to yourselves, the warlike races of human, Ki, Hara, and especially Sklarno might completely exterminate one another. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Save me the lecture, Shizzle. Believe me, I've heard it all before.
2: The amazing thing is that despite the almost complete destruction of Witok and the fact that the planet is among the most hostile places in the galaxy, the Quith managed to successfully develop permanent cities. Ah, we're coming out of the clouds now. Behold, the port of Witok.
0: Quentin pressed against the viewport, eager to see his second alien city. As the lightless clouds thinned to nothing, however, he briefly wondered if he'd been tricked. It looked like a smaller version of Ionath City. The dome downtown looked the same, and the roads radiated out in their spoke-like pattern. Looks pretty familiar.
2: The port of Wittok was built well after the success of Ionath and Gritslick. The Quest First Pioneers landed 51 years after the relativity bombing, but the planet's surface was still so violent they could barely survive. It was another 50 years before they built an actual port that allowed large craft landings, so the city is really only about 60 years old.
0: The shuttle swooped down towards the huge dome. Just like Ionath City, the dome surface seemed to open just for the speeding shuttle. Inside the dome, right at the city center, it's at a perfectly round stadium. Damn, that stadium looks even bigger than ours.
2: E A N M Stadium seats 181,500. Every game is a sellout. There's no sunlight on the surface, which hinders outdoor activities. There's not much to do, so beings on Windtalk take football very seriously.
0: Oh come on, more seriously than on I N F.
2: Last week there were five murders involving tickets for the game against the Big Diggers.
0: Yeah, I'd say that's pretty serious. The shuttle banked towards a landing pad atop a building attached to the stadium. Even the buildings looked very similar to Ionath cities. As the vehicle lowered for the landing, Quentin stared out the window at the field. Here the surface wasn't blue, but a pale yellow with black lines and numbers. He had read up on the stadium in his effort to prepare as completely as possible. The plant that made up the field was reportedly a bit oily, making for poor traction and quickly stained uniforms. How would he run the offense in such poor footing? How would that affect the patterns of his receivers? Shizzle's history lesson faded away as Quentin's mind switched into full-out strategy mode, even before the shuttle touched down. Quentin walked out of the Holy Light bar and grill and onto the streets of Port Wittock. The Holy Light Bar and Grill was similar to the Blessed Lamb back on Ionath, a purist-only place where you could get heaping helpings of good food, religion, and reasons to hate every being except those that hailed from purist nation space. He ate politely, made friends, and at the end asked if they could help him track down his parents. The people in the Blessed Lamb acted exactly the way Father Harry had, offering to help him unconditionally. Quentin still had trouble believing that nationalites actually liked him and actually wanted to help him, even though he was an orphan. Being an orphan, it seemed, had little meaning to people who had fled the home planets in fear of their lives, leaving behind family, belongings, and culture. Warburg had taken him to the holy light, but Quentin excused himself shortly after dinner. Warburg meant well enough. But Quentin grew tired of the man's constant verbal attacks on anyone and anything that was not nationalite. Quentin hated the sub races too, sure, but he didn't need to talk about it every second of every day. The street outside the Holy Light might as well have been in Ionath City's human district, save for the fact that Port Wittock was perpetually under the blanket of night, thanks to the huge volcanoes that spilled fumes into the upper atmospheres. Earthquakes, too, were a daily occurrence. But here, he'd learned, every building, even the huge stadium, rested on a mag-grav suspension system, as did the streets and any utilities like pipes, power transmitters, or atmosphere processors. Quakes hit four or five times a day. Things shook, everyone waited, the shaking stopped, and everyone went on about their business. Port Einath sat in the center of a tectonic plate, so significant ground cracks seldom posed a problem. The fact that 8.0 quakes shuddered the ground on a regular basis and that a poisonous gas filled the air outside the dome didn't seem to bother the Quith, 1.2 million of whom lived outside the curved downtown dome. It seemed these beings could live just about anywhere, and therein lay their advantage. For all his countrymen's talk about being the High One's, quote, chosen people, end quote, humans couldn't survive for 10 minutes on the surface of Wittak. Quentin walked alone down the street weaving through the crowds of Quith, Key, Human, and Sklorno. He had a lot on his mind. Practice was going well, although he still had problems adjusting to the speed of his receivers and the defensive backs. His pass release had been slow when he arrived, and he hadn't even known it. Now he got rid of the ball twice as fast as he had when he played with the Raiders. That helped, but it didn't solve the main problem, which was adjusting his eyes to take in the whole field. Back home, he could see a 20-yard radius and know instantly who could move how far within that space. But now, thanks to the amazing speed of the Sklorno race, he needed to see a radius of 40 to 50 yards, even more if he wanted to throw downfield. He had to drop back, instantly account for every Sklorno defensive back, know how far they could go, how high they could jump, and at what angle, then make the decision whether or not to throw, and then deliver the ball on target. What was worse, the Kraken seemed to simply tolerate him as opposed to accepting him as their leader. These were Don Pine's players. But why did they follow that has-been? Quentin was a better quarterback, all granted, less experienced, and everyone on the team knew he was better. They followed Pine's commands without question, but when Quentin commanded, he often got glares or bored looks before anyone complied. The key just didn't block as well for him as they did for Pine. The human players were no better. Aside from Warburg, the human starters showed him no respect. Except maybe for Mitchell Fayette, who ran every play as if his life depended on it. Well, they were all obviously just jealous of his talent. They wanted to keep their little status quo with their buddy Don Pine, and they resented new blood coming in to take over. Well, that was their problem, and they'd have to learn to deal with it. It was Quentin's team now and they'd all learn that come game time. Quentin was so lost in his thoughts, he didn't hear the flutter of credit rocking wings right beside him. He didn't even know the little creature was there until it spoke.
2: Quentin Barnes!
0: Quentin turned to look at the bat. It had light yellow skin with mottled brown spots and wore a plain brown outfit. It hovered near his head, reminding Quentin of a big, noisy hummingbird. A disgusting one with six eyes. Yeah, that's me.
2: My name is Magon, and I'd like a word with you. Or more precisely, my employer would like a word with you.
0: And who's your employer? Magon handed him a business disc. Quentin thumbed the button at the center, and a small holo sign appeared above it. Magon. Talent scout. Toe pirates. Quentin felt his heart beat faster. You're really from the Toe pirates?
2: Yes, but it is better if we do not talk here. Your teammates might see. If you'd follow me,
0: Magon flew down a side street. Quentin followed him into the street, then into a small door. He had to duck to get through. Once inside, he was able to stand, but just barely, his hair touching the ceiling. The place was full of quith workers in various states of intoxication. Some danced to strange music. Some leaned against numerous three-foot-high poles that filled the room, and some just laid on the floor. The smell of juniper filled the air. What is this place?
2: It is a gin joint.
0: Magon fluttered down atop one of the three-foot poles. He was the only Kretorokin in the room. For that matter, Quentin was the only human.
2: I forgot that you don't know much about the galaxy. Gin, the same things you humans distill and consume, has a powerful narcotic effect on the quith. The alcohol does not affect them, but there's something in the gym that really knocks them on their ass.
0: Quentin thought back to the time he'd seen an opium den back on McCovey. Human or quith worker, stoners, all look the same. It's pathetic.
2: If you think these workers are bad now, you should see the ones that are hooked on raw juniper berries. At least the gin is distilled to take out some of the poisons.
0: Quentin took another quick look around, then turned to face Magon. Okay, so what's all this about? What do the Toe Pirates want?
2: They want you.
0: The words hit like an injection of pure excitement. His body coursed with eagerness and hope. What? They want me now?
2: Not now, idiot. At the end of the season, Karani Kolak will give you a three-year contract.
0: Quentin was stunned. A three-year contract. With the Toe Pirates, the greatest franchise in GFL history. It was his childhood dream come true. That sounds great. Uh, Tell Mr. Kolok that I'm very, very interested.
2: Of course you're interested, Backwater. It's the damn Toe Pirates. Everybody's interested. But there is one catch.
0: And what's that?
2: You have to make sure the Krakens do not reach the playoffs.
0: Gwen's face furrowed into a confused frown.
2: But why not? What difference does that make?
0: Magon fluttered his leathery wings, a clear sign of Kredorakian irritation.
2: Because, Backwater, if the Krakens make the playoffs and make it into Tier 1, all players are protected for two seasons. That means the Pirates, or any other team for that matter, can't touch you unless the Krakens cut you.
0: Oh, oh yeah, I, I kind of forgot about that.
2: But it does not look like it's going to be a problem. You guys are already one and one and there's no way you're going to beat the Pioneers, so you'll already be two games out of first. Just make sure the Krakens lose any games you start, and you'll be wearing the blood-red jersey before you know it. Mr. Kolak thinks that there's big things in your future, Backwater. If I need to talk to you again, I'll contact you, but we can't be seen together. If the League finds out we're talking, the pirates will be fined, and you'll be suspended. Suspended?
0: Quentin quickly looked around the bar, but still saw only drunken quith workers. Why didn't you say that before we started talking?
2: It is not my fault if you don't know GFL regulations. Now, if you'll excuse me, I want to go. I can't stand the stink of humans.
0: With that, Magon fluttered up and flew out the door. Quentin stared after him. The Toe Pirates. The Toe motherfucking Pirates. Winners of five GFL championships, more than any other team. The Pirates, with their legendary blood-red jerseys, and they wanted him. Just make sure you lose the games you start. Those words pushed to the forefront of his brain, dissipating his excitement. Tank a game or two? Sure, they were one and one. But with a win against the Pioneers, the Krakens were right back in the playoff hunt. Quentin shook his head and walked out of the gin joint. He'd never thrown a game in his life, but odds were he wouldn't have to. The Pioneers were clearly the best team in the Quit the Radiated Conference. They'd probably walk all over the Kraken's defense. It wouldn't come down to Quentin tanking the game. At least, he hoped it wouldn't. You have been listening to The Rookie, book one of the Galactic Football League series. Produced by Arioch Morningstar with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. For more information on the author and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song, The Kids Are Coming For You, by the band Superweapon. Superweaponband.com you trying to